Thank you for listening to season two of Spotless, Breaking the Boundaries of Television. Presented by two media powerhouses, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution. So, you know, listen up. Evolution, we came from monkeys, now we're humans. Who knows where we are next? You're going to learn something on this podcast. Peter Naylor is Vice President of America at SNAP, responsible for driving the growth of the company's advertising business across the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Previously, Peter served as SVP and Head of Advertising Sales at Hulu, where he worked for over six years. Prior to Hulu, Peter was EVP of Digital Media Sales for NBC Universal, where he ran digital advertising sales for NBCU's entertainment, news, and sports digital properties. Before NBCU, Peter served as the SVP of sales for the iVillage Properties, which was acquired by NBCU in May 2006. Prior to joining iVillage, he served as Vice President of Sales for Terra Lycos. He started his internet sales career at Wired Digital, and Peter is also on the board of directors for the IAB, the IRTS Foundation, and the TD Foundation, a not-for-profit organization that provides aid to children of wounded warriors. Peter Naylor, uh, welcome to Spotless Season 2. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here with you, Haram. So, yeah, let's start by talking about your impressive career. I mean, you have an, you had an opportunity to cover digital, TV, streaming, and you're currently VP of the Americas at Snap. What was it about Snap that, that interested you most? You know, uh, Snap is really an extraordinary company and that it's a bright shining example of how you can use both technology with some curation to really come up with a platform where really fun and positive things happen between friends. You know, the the app is really built around the camera and everybody we know has two cameras, one pointing out, one pointing at their face and magical things are happening with augmented reality when you enhance your your pictures and your communications with AR. And it's a platform where real friends talk in real ways. You know, so many platforms you're putting your best foot forward or you want to be pixel perfect. And on Snap, it's really just about true friendship and uh, communicating through the camera. So being here right now at a point in time when the media industry is going through such a major recalibration, I feel really lucky to be here. You mentioned augmented reality, and I definitely want to make sure that we spend a lot of time talking about that today. But if we take a step back for a second, you've worked across several verticals. And as you and I both know, you know, there are differences between linear, mobile, streaming, AR, VR. I want to get your take on how are you responding to brands if they were to ask you which medium is most powerful or how should they be leveraging certain mediums to best, best reach their audience? Well, I think right now, every marketer in the world is going through, again, what I just said, which I I just call a massive recalibration. I think there's two huge drivers that are causing change. One of them is the long, slow, or maybe long and fast decline of total rating points and gross rating points available in the market. And that's uh, causing a lot of hand-wringing because television has been a proven performer for decades. And it's a a pretty easy go-to for marketers who want to get stuff done and solve problems through marketing. And so they're faced with 
um, the question of, wow, where do we find our audience now that we can't find them in as many numbers as television? And the other big change is we're now entering into the area, uh, into, into the era of privacy-centric measurement. And the privacy-centric measurement is being thrust into everyone's world because of cookies going away and because of um, IDF going away with iOS 14.5 and, and privacy as a default, not privacy as an opt-in. So those two things alone mean everyone is trying to figure out what are the new plays I'm going to run while clinging to the old plays that used to work, but they're not working as effectively as they used to. So when you wonder, gosh, what is the best way to go? I think everybody had an idea of what was the best way to go through old measurement, old media mix modeling. You know, all of their spreadsheets were built five, 10 years ago. Those all, all those formulas need to be updated and everything needs to be reassessed as the audience is shifting their habits in such dramatic and measurable ways uh, in terms of time spent and attention. But the media planning and, uh, and the hoped for outcomes are still a bit of, uh, are in a bit of a gray area. So it's, it's really impossible to answer what's the best way to go for anybody until you understand their challenges, their target audiences, what they're trying to accomplish and how they're trying to accomplish it. Uh, so again, massive transition going on that's leading to all these, these thoughtful conversations. So it's interesting, you, you mentioned time spent and attention and you know it would, I would be remiss not to mention that Snap has certainly been on a roll recently. And so you know, you've been at Snap for just under a year and a half. So for starters, congratulations on, on your early success. But you know, based on our last read, we're talking more than 500 million monthly users. Snapchatters are spending more than 30 minutes a day and 75% of your audience is that very coveted millennial and Gen Z audience. What would you credit some of that above success to? I mean, the landscape is fragmented as you mentioned and there are more options than ever before, but Snap has still somehow you know, remained atop the leaderboard to be a platform that users are flocking to. Well, it's really uh, fun to see that the audience continues to age with us. You know, there was a concern that maybe it'll just be something they do for a little while. But the truth is, once you have your real friends established on Snapchat and you're talking to them through pictures, which is a picture's worth a thousand words. I didn't coin that, but it, nothing could be more true, Haram. You know that. Um, I think the uh, the combination of having a really sticky killer app of our of our service, which is talking with your friends in a true fashion, combined with our kind of relentless innovation uh, has led to growth and continued growth. So when I talk about our continued uh, evolution and innovation, you know, you open up onto the camera. And within the last year, we expanded our navigation to include five tabs up from three. And so now we have the Snap Map, which used to be a swipe away. It's the largest personalized map of its kind in the world and totally extraordinary and ripe for so much growth. You've got where you can talk to your friends under another tab. You've got the camera, all the AR possibilities, everything that's possible with the camera. And then we've got content and the content comes from uh, people or, or brands like, you know, newspaper brands like Washington Post or Wall Street Journal, magazine brands from Hearst and Meredith, um, 
big uh, TV brands like ESPN Sports Center, NBC News, international brands like the Daily Mail or Le Monde, and on and on and on. And then the new kid on the block is called Spotlight, and Spotlight is a new format that's very popular with a lot of platforms, which is the vertical scrolling video, user-created video, creator-driven entertainment. And so when you add all that up, you've got almost many apps in one uh, when you get Snapchat. And so we're giving people a reason to come and talk with their friends and spend time with all the content. And uh, on average, the average user comes in 30 times a day. So it's it's certainly a utility. And, and I would argue it's kind of an indispensable part of, of someone's life once they really establish their friendships and their habits here. So uh, I feel really lucky that I got here. I got here last uh, May. So I've only been here during the pandemic. Um, and in that time during the pandemic, I've come to really appreciate how powerful the platform is because, you know, everybody, the company, we pretty much communicate on Snap as well. So it's it's just really fun. It's a really good time to be here. Wait, so you're taking your one-on-ones <laughs> via Snap? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, no, you know, if you want to talk to somebody, you can, I mean, how many ways can you talk to somebody? Slack, text, phone, email. Well, we do a lot of snapping. I think that makes perfect sense. And if, if nothing else, it it shows that you all are believers in in the brand. You mentioned this concept of many apps in one, which I think is really interesting. And it was truly on display at your uh, Snap Partner Summit, where you know we had an opportunity to see a lot of the cutting edge technology, uh, the partnerships, and a lot of innovation there. Notably, there were a lot of advancements in AR. And so, you know, for someone who is familiar with AR from a consumer perspective, could you help me understand how do brands fit into the world of AR at Snap? Yeah, AR is really amazing. You know, in short, augmented reality enhances uh, the world around you in really interesting ways. And I think we have um, more than scratched the surface, but there's still so much runway ahead of us. So when AR really started on the platform, it was silly and frivolous. You could vomit rainbows, turn yourself into a, a dog and all that good stuff. You know, the famous memes of of the of the boss in the conference call turning himself into a potato and couldn't figure out how to unturn himself into a potato. Um, but today for businesses, we're really finding some really cool uses of the technologies. And I'll focus on try-on technologies. So imagine you're a beauty marketer like L'Oreal and your whole world changes during the pandemic because women can't go to the beauty counter and try on um, colors or lipsticks or whatever, augmented reality allows you to use your camera, use your own face and use their colors to do uh, virtual try-ons. And it's amazing. You know, if you're a sunglasses manufacturer, if you're Warby Parker, you can use try-on technologies and uh, cut down on shipping costs. If, you know, there was a recent acquisition made by Walmart for AR. And one of the things they asserted was that when people use augmented reality for trying on virtual apparel or whatever, the return costs go down because they're doing a better job of, of purchasing what they really want and what they think will work for them. So there's so many examples, not only here, but with other companies about how AR is, is really uh, a killer app for e-commerce. And if we know one thing, we know that e-commerce skyrocketed during the pandemic. And I, I don't think it's going to 
ebb, I think it's only going to flow. We've reached new heights and a new plateau when it comes to e-commerce. So when you marry e-commerce with these great enhancements in augmented reality lenses, not to mention the new iPhone has great technology for making sure the AR really looks like it belongs, you know, like if you do an, uh, an augmented reality try on for footwear, it really looks like it's on your foot. If you try it for a wristwatch, it really looks like it's on your wristwatch. So the enhancements in um, the technologies, the, the hardware and people's comfort with it is just going through the roof and brands want in on it. So that's an interesting concept because I would say during the pandemic, my interaction with AR uh, first took place when I, for 30 seconds, considered buying a Peloton. Now, Peter, you know me and I'm not a Peloton guy. However, I did go through all the motions to see if it were, you know, if, if, if that bike was right for me. And there was a really cool feature that allowed me to actually scan my apartment and um, kind of focus on the location where I would place it. And it showed me this is what the Peloton would look like, you know, in your apartment um, in this particular corner. So I was amazed by that. But I guess my question now is, as the world continues to open up, what do you think the future of virtual try-on is? I mean, you know, many people have been itching to get back outside and get into the stores. Do you see virtual try-on still being a concept that Snap's leading into going forward? I think that's a reasonable question. Uh, I, but I do know when talking to marketers for years, like anything you can do to reduce friction in the purchase process mm -hmm. is something they will embrace. You know, one-click shopping way back in the early days of e-commerce, you know, frictionless shopping, is, it's huge. So if anything can reduce you contemplating to add to cart or not, it's going to, it's, it's here to stay. And as people get more and more comfortable with the technologies, I think they'll come to expect it. You know, uh, it, it's almost like touchscreens in the early days of touchscreens. It was this like magical experience. And now any screen that's not a touchscreen, it's almost irritating. It's like, why isn't this a touchscreen? I mean, uh, and I think it'll be the same thing. It's like, why can't I do a virtual try-in? And um, going to the mall sounds romantic when you can't go to the mall for a year, but then when you go and you actually have to find a parking spot and, you know, go through the reality, uh, you know, uh, e-commerce looks pretty attractive when it just gets to delivered to your home in 24 hours. So I think these things are absolutely here to stay, especially as they get better and better. And like you think about apparel, I've used a lot of examples of like wristwatches, timepieces, eyewear, footwear. When you can try in a shirt for sizing and it's as accurate as it could possibly be and you're less likely to return it. I mean, the reduction of friction is why I think it's here to stay. You know, when you think about uh, removing the friction, right? I, I, I totally understand that concept. Oftentimes, I've found that when we're looking to innovate, many brands and agencies are sometimes hesitant due to limited or lack of data around innovation. And so how are you combating that concept with brands when it's either a new feature or a new product and you're looking to have them lean in and buy into it with limited to no data? How willing are some of the brands working with Snap? Um, how willing are they to, to lean into AR or is it kind of like a you know, test and learn together? Well, you know, at first, I think we start with innovation budgets before they become, you know, line items that are here to stay and are, are immovable. And uh, measurement is definitely a part of it. And one of the things we've learned is that when you combine 
your conventional video ads and your snap ads and put them all together, uh, AR actually accelerates everything. Uh, because again, you're in this connected ecosystem where um, we, have, we have something called a dynamic product ad where you can upload your entire catalog of products. And we all serve many, many different versions of ads based on all sorts of inputs. When you combine things like dynamic product ads with the ability to uh, enhance that storytelling with, with augmented reality, everything works better. So it's one plus one equals three scenario. And that's been proven through research. So we're happy to do research against uh, people who are new to the space. And an interesting announcement we made during the SNAP Summit, uh, the SNAP Partner Summit that we had earlier this year was the arrival of the Creator Marketplace. And the Creator Marketplace is designed to marry creators with brands. And the first place we're starting is with augmented reality because we have so many lens creators who are really talented and experienced at this nascent field. So when we get brands who are like, I think I wanna try it, I think I wanna check it out. Like, how do we do this? We marry them to creators who have subject matter expertise at delivering killer creative executions in augmented reality. Then you salt, salt and pepper little measurement on that and we're off to the races. And again, I think because the market is in such massive transition and all those old video dollars uh, are needing to find new homes and finding new places to uh, generate demand for their products or services, you know, this is definitely on the list as we see so many people embrace these technologies and these behaviors. And I don't know if I mentioned it, uh, you mentioned we have half a billion people coming to the platform every month. We actually have 280 million people coming every single day and 200 million of the 280 are either creating or experiencing augmented reality every day. When you're talking about scale and usage of that type, when married in a point in time when marketers are trying to run new plays, like this is a pretty good play to run. And uh, there's so much evidence that, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze, as I like to say. I could see how that would definitely assuage a, a marketer. There was one instance, I think it was uh, during the Super Bowl, when we got a chance to see uh, the, the Cheetos Super Bowl commercial and the, and the QR code. That was really cool. Could you talk a little bit about how that came to life? You know, for me as, as a consumer, you know, we always talk about advertising. If ever there's a time where we are okay with the ads, it's during the Super Bowl. And so many brands are putting their best foot forward, but it was super interesting to see the partnership between Frito-Lay and Snap. And so could you talk a little bit about that particular deal and how well it performed? Yeah, they're wonderful partners. You know, their target audience marries up nicely with our audience. And what we're talking about is a campaign called, you know, Steal the Super Bowl and Steal the Cheetos. And when you pointed your Snapchat at the commercial, it launched this augmented reality execution where you could get a free code for a free snack. So it's, it was done in course with the agency and the client, of course, our creating creative partners. And uh, this, again, is a, an example of a marketer who wants to do something with their $5 million Super Bowl spot to bring it to life. I think it's common that these big, the biggest marketers in the world, you know, they create this, their hero creative, and then they want to augment it however they can. Uh, and this is a really wonderful example of that happening uh, with Cheetos. So um, I think you can expect more of that because the, the great insight most people have is that 
two-screen consumption is alive and well. We know, for example, when people watch any NFL game, uh, about 80% or so of the people who are on Snap are snapping. And they'll be snapping with their friends about the game. And boy, and if they're in person, you can bet they're snapping about the game. Um, but there's something if they're watching on broadcast, if they're at the uh, sporting event itself. And that's one of the insights that drove uh, the good folks at Frito-Lay to determine that this was a great way to give the campaign extra life. So uh, I think, you know, it's those types, types of insights that will continue to drive innovation. Awesome. So when we're talking about augmented reality, but then there's also this, this world of virtual reality. And um, I think you and I were at Hulu at the same time when we were kind of dipping our toe into that space. My question to you is, would you say that AR is more palpable for brands than VR? Because I, I think we can agree that VR has not really taken off in the premium content advertising space the way, you know, a few trades might have predicted uh, years ago. VR is still alive and well, and it, I think it works wonders for certain verticals, but it doesn't seem to have, you know, you know picked up the steam that many, many of us once thought. How would you compare the difference between the two? Yeah, I wouldn't sleep on AR, uh, VR, but um, I think you're right. And it has a lot to do with the hardware. I mean, every single person uh, who's probably listening to us, uh, again, is equipped with a phone with two cameras, <laughs> front and rear facing. Um, and that's all you really need to start playing around with and experiencing AR in a meaningful way. When it comes to VR, you know, the equipment is um, still not ever present and it's expensive and um, it's still growing. That said, I wouldn't sleep on it, as I said. I mean, one sign that uh, VR is still, you know, in the infancy is uh, just the fact that Facebook is still working really, really hard to make Oculus take off and become a household item. And uh, recent headline earlier this year, you know, the U.S. government uh, committed to a $20 billion contract to Microsoft for HoloLens. You know, when you see something like that and they're going to put virtual reality headsets on the soldiers, like those are some pretty interesting signs of the time. So more pedestrian, it's like, yeah, no, every phone everywhere is equipped with, with AR capabilities and we aren't the only platform that's promoting AR. Uh, so I think that has much more short-term opportunity, but I, I imagine VR will continue its long, slow climb, and there'll be more and more innovation to come and to look forward to seeing. So just to kind of close the loop on AR specifically, if you could clear up any misconceptions around AR and why it fits well for brands specifically around Snap, um, would love to, for our listeners who are marketers and or managing large budgets, to understand why AR is a, uh, a feature, a tool, and Snap is a platform that would really benefit them? Well, I think it's simple. If you're wondering if it's widespread, it is. 200 million people are creating or experiencing it every day on our platform alone. If you're wondering if it's difficult or challenging to make the creative, um, it certainly isn't cookie cutter, but it's not, it's, not, um, it's not something we haven't done before. And again, we launched a creator marketplace to make it easy. For people, if you're wondering if does it drive results, the answer is yes. And we've got so many case studies to show how it can complement everything that's going on. So any reason to hesitate, we've pretty much answered all these questions and thousands of brands have embraced it.
as part of their marketing mix. So almost every single category, we can point to many, many examples of people successfully deploying AR as a marketing tool. So it's time to, it's time to go big or bigger. If you're in it, go bigger. If you're not in it, let's go. Awesome. So let's talk about Snap's audience uh, for a bit. Um, you know, during this year's New Fronts, we had an opportunity to hear about the high concentration of young adults. Um, what makes Snap's audience so valuable to, to advertisers? I know we mentioned the coveted millennials and Gen Zers, but, you know, there are many folks out there who are prisoners of the moment and are, you know, focused on the new platform of the day, the, the, the new uh, social media viral thing of the week. Snap has had some staying power and it's largely driven by the fact that your audience is really loyal and you've created you know, a platform that resonates with them. Um, what is it about Snap's audience that is so, that's, that's so valuable? Well, I think we've got considerable scale that makes us uh, attractive to marketers of all sizes. So if you're looking for big reach, we've got big numbers. If you're looking to narrow in on a specific target, we can find them. And you got to remember the reason that uh, marketers covet 18 to 34s, uh, millennials, Gen Zs, it's about math. And that math is lifetime value. If you can convert someone to your brand when they're a young adult and you keep them for their life, the lifetime value is more if you, if you convert a 20-year-old than if you convert a 50-year-old. It's not that 50-year-olds don't have disposable income and it's not that they're not open to new ideas. But boy, if you that that's the whole reason why young people are have always been coveted by marketers, and that's one of the reasons why eighteen to thirty fours uh, uh, and twenty five to forty fours have always been the television demographic because that's that's where the action is. So um, the fact that we've got them at scale in a very uh, personal way is what makes the environment um, really attractive to marketers. And again, we just keep enhancing the service and doing everything we can to make Snap an in indispensable part of their lives. And it, it goes right back to where we started this conversation. You start on Snap with connecting with your real friends, your close friends. And it's not really a broadcast platform. It's a one-to-one -one communication platform. And that's when you can really be yourself and you're not worried about a conversation being out there in perpetuity. And so you can just talk and be yourself. So all those things combined make us sticky and having a sticky large audience makes us attractive to marketers. So I love that you use the language be yourself because I think that's a great segue into the Snap Originals that you all recently previewed. You know, emphasize celebrity and influencer driven shows. A lot of shows that are talking about diversity, social justice and educational content. So with the increase of social awareness over the last year, would you be able to share a little bit about SNAP's efforts and initiatives behind some of this new content that I guess I would say is long overdue, but is meant to better reflect the times and the society we live in today? Yeah, that's one of the things that attracted me to the company is that we really are values driven and it's authentic. And I point to the fact that over half the leads or, or stars of our content in our originals are either people of color or LGBTQ+. So over half. So we want to be a reflection of the audience and we're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And I point to shows like Wild Black by MK Asante, which has 
chronicled the black experience. And that show was created well before Black Lives Matter, for example. So just very prescient show. Jaden Smith has a show examining social issues. We've got shows coming up about coming out as a young adult. And that is the brightest and most shining example of being yourself and on and on and on. So we're always looking for ways to uh, tap into the true and authentic interests of the audience. There's a, there's a drama coming out, which is all about climate change. So it's a fictionalized, it's a, it's a dramatic show, but the premise is about climate change, which is something that's so interesting to the audience. So, you know, those shows are greenlit because we know the audience is the most diverse, the most tolerant, the most uh, progressive generation to ever walk the planet. And we want to super serve them in ways that are unique to the platform with unique and timely content. So it's, it's really satisfying to see that. Well, I can tell you, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that that sort of content is definitely resonating, especially with, you know, I have six nieces and two nephews. And so I can tell you that, you know, creating stories with uh, storylines people that look like, you know, the audience in the world we live in today is something that even I myself have always looked for in television. And while last year we've reached a tipping point, if you will, um, I hope that this is not a fad, but it's, you know, kind of the new normal. And so super appreciative of the efforts um, that and the strides that SNAP is making in, in, in that front. It's great to hear that. And for your nieces and nephews, I mean, that one show I, I just mentioned, Wild Black by MK Asante, I think is extraordinarily powerful because it talks about, you know, being black while walking, while shopping, while driving and the experience that um, so many people go through that the rest of the world needs to get in touch with. And I think more and more people are more aware of what's, you know, everyone else's experience than ever. So if there's one show I really strongly recommend to the listeners to, to dive into. It's Wild Black, uh, hosted by MK Asante. Really strong, really powerful. Awesome. Thank you for that. So, Peter Naylor, normally we like to end our conversations on Spotless with a prediction around the future of TV, media, so on and so forth. However, our audience has had the pleasure of hearing you accurately predict the industry for years now. And since you and I know each other, I was hoping that we could play a little game. Basically, I'm gonna give you two options with no context, and all you have to do is pick one. <laughs> so super, super easy. I promise not to get you in trouble. So two options, no context, all you do is pick one. Okay. All right, let's do it. Cable subscription or streaming service? Streaming. Upfronts or new fronts? New fronts. This is too easy. Branded content or brand integrations? Both. Do you want me to expand on these answers? These seem like really easy. Like you, you just got to imagine what's going to happen in the future. Keep going. CES or CAN? Oh, uh, I like CAN. Sorry. You're asking me the south of France or Las Vegas? Yeah, I'll take uh, south of France. Okay. <laughs> um, different strokes for different folks. And the last one, here comes the sun or Mr. Brightside. Oh, wow. Uh, how about watermelon sugar? <laughs> that wasn't even an option. I know. You got to go. You got to look forward, Rom. Okay. <laughs> I, I See, this is why you're you. You're always, <laughs> you're always looking forward. 
And in all honesty, um, I think that's one thing that we uh, appreciate about you and we appreciate you joining us today on the Spotless Podcast. So Peter Naylor, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Frank. Great to be here.